They reinstated those caucuses. They've made the state Democratic Executive Committee a reflective of the Democratic electorate. They put them back in there. But ultimately, ultimately what they did in putting the caucuses back was exactly what we had fought for so hard back in 2018 and 2019. So yeah, I mean, when they do the right thing, I'm gonna say, when they do the wrong thing, I'll say. Welcome in. Another uh, good week. Your favorite political podcast, Out of the Mountain Politics This Week, brought to you by Wind Creek Entertainment. I am Josh Moon, and that is... I am David Person, and I have the sense today, Josh, uh-huh. that either you or me, one of us is going to go on a real serious rant. <laughs> uh, I, I just have that feeling. I feel the, the, the God of rants is hovering over my shoulders. Yeah. I feel like it's going to happen today. Yeah, pretty safe bet with me since I go on one yeah. pretty much every week. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it, it, that's what I do, I guess. But no, it's, uh, uh, yeah, it's, uh, uh, there, there's been some things go down. There have definitely mm-hmm. been some things go down. Um, you know, first real quickly, we want to tell you about our, our the folks at Wind Creek Entertainment, uh, and make sure that we, we encourage you to go, uh, go to the website, uh, go to Wind Creek Entertainment and, and book a trip, book a trip to one of the, the fine establishments, hopefully in the state of Alabama, one of their three in, in Atmore, Wetumpka or Montgomery, um, and hopefully more coming soon. Uh, hopefully more coming soon. And, uh, and listen, you're going to enjoy it. They have the best of the best uh, when it comes to hotels and spas and accommodations, uh, restaurants, uh, and, and the entertainment, of course, uh, of being able to play electronic uh, bingo machines in, in, the, in their facilities in a nice, safe environment that's, uh, that's regulated and controlled. And uh, you will enjoy it. Uh, I know I have every time I've been. Uh, I know my wife has always enjoyed going into to the restaurants and to the spas. She's, she doesn't gamble. She can't stand to, uh, to, to put the money in. And she likes for the money to come out. She just doesn't like the money to go in. Uh, so she's one of those people. But um, We can relate to that. All yeah, of us can relate to that. Yeah, I know. I, I'm not a big gambler myself. I know that's odd. Uh, given that I am, I am very much pro gambling legislation uh, on things, but uh, I'm not. I'm not a very big gambler. I, you know, I'll, I'll do a little sports betting from time to time, uh, and but I mean, honestly, it it never, unless I win big, it never really gets into the into four digits. Okay, it it usually doesn't. So now uh, you're saying you're gambling or you're winning. Uh, my, my gambling never, oh, my never gambling, gets into four digits. I, I, ne- I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever bet a thousand dollars on anything. Yeah. I don't think I've ever bet more than $500 on anything. So I don't think I've ever bet more than $20 on anything. Yeah, uh, the 500 one was a pretty safe bet. I'll say was that. It? it was, yeah, it was, okay. it was a good, it was a good diversified bet. I'll put it that way. There was not, there was no chance of me losing the five, the entire, I guess there was technically a chance that I could lose it, but there's really mm. no chance of me losing the 500 and I did not. So, um, <clears throat> I don't think I, I won some... very much, but I, I didn't lose it. I recall uh, probably two or three in the morning hitting some slot machines in uh, Kingston, Jamaica, and that's about it. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've I've won I've won pretty pretty well on some weekends. Uh, you know, sports gambling and uh and and it just you know it, just bet on what you know and and try to limit it to that and stay away from those ridiculous parlays and things like uh, of that nature. But listen, mm-hmm. uh, the, this is you know the the folks at Wind Creek they offer uh they offer the electronic bingo machines and you know, and you know at the dog track that 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 they are partial owners of and uh, and Mobile or maybe full owners of it at this point. Uh, uh, you can uh, you can also do some parimutuel wagering on on dogs down there, which I love. That's where that was my real introduction to gambling. Was I went with my grandfather? Uh, he used to take me to the dog track. Uh, we would go. We would go. To, we went to Green Track a lot. Uh, we went to Victory Land a few times. Uh, and this was when I was probably sixteen, seventeen, eighteen years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would he would take me, and we man, we would have a ball. We would just we would get a hotel room uh, somewhere around, go eat something good, go to the dog track, hang out. I mean, it was it was great, great fun time. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. taught me all about the uh, Quinellas and how to how to box them and how to how to do the whole deal, man. And so uh, we had a lot of fun. But uh, and you will too. Go go see the folks at Wind Creek, and you'll have a good time. Uh, all yeah, right. and and if you don't want to gamble, you can yeah. go to the spas or the restaurants. That's right. Is, That's right. Which is probably where I'd be spending my time. You the know, they've also. I mean, they've got they've got a bowling alley and a movie theater in one. Oh, uh, go to the movies. Yeah, yeah. maybe yeah, bowl. I mean, it's, yeah, it's I'd probably whole, bowl it's too. Whole yeah. deal, man. It's, I mean, if you go once it warms up. Uh, you know, and the groundhog says it's coming any day now. Uh, yeah, the warm up, uh, it's it's uh, you get get to the pool and all that. It's it's very nice. Um, oh, swimming yeah. too. All yeah, right. yeah. Okay. All righty. Um, if you noticed that you're, uh, you you felt like you had less money uh, this week. It's because the legislature is back in session. Um, <laughs> they are. They are back. Uh, things kicked off on Tuesday. Uh, state of the state from K. Ivey. Um, you know, I wrote a column about Kay Ivey's state of the state and uh, and really what the Republican, that really kind of is, is the Republican agenda for the most part. I mean, they'll do some other crazy things here or there, but for the most part, that's the agenda. Um, and, you know, I, I felt like there were a lot of good things that she talked about. As yeah. you know, I mean that she that she opened up with and and talked about doing you know it, yeah, the, the the veterans home the uh, more more money for teachers more money for uh, for schools so, you know talked about the great progress we had made in public education or, uh, somewhere um, and you know talked about the gambling bill and and how hopefully we can now um, do you know it passed that and properly regulate and tax gaming in this state and, and reap the benefits of it, um, which would be lovely. Um, can I, can I, we just pause there for a minute? Sure. Yeah. I want to pause on that for a minute because I want to, I want to get your, your take on, uh, and I think you even indicated this in your column, you know, or maybe, maybe I saw it somewhere else, but, um, you know, we've been down this road before of, Governors talking about gambling, sure, and the legislature uh, has given us the impression that in the past they have been seriously contemplating legalizing gambling. Mm-hmm. So what I want to know is, you know, okay, the fact that she's made this big pronouncement in her state of the state does it really mean anything, or do you think this time it's really different? that there's going to be some really solid, comprehensive gambling legislation put forward that will pass. And then I'm assuming that will then go to the people for the people to vote on 
that the people will want to pass. Yes, uh, I, I do. I do believe that this time is is a little bit different uh, than the last times, uh, than the previous attempts at this. Um, you know, I, I've covered it a lot for a long time, and and many of the previous attempts at this were very, you know, ham handed. Um, you know, uh, almost a surprise to a lot of people that it was coming. Uh, you know, that uh, here's here's a comprehensive gaming bill. You know, we've talked about it a little bit, but I think this is the bill that we need to get. And then the process of generating support on the fly started. Um, and there are a couple of things that are different about this particular time. Number one, this thing has been everybody knew this was coming and that people had started writing. The lawmakers had started writing the bill well before session. They would put in a lot of work. Uh, to try to go around and talk to a number of different groups of lawmakers within the legislature to kind of you know build a coalition uh, on what they wanted to do, how they could do it, what what could get done, um, and so then the very key, to me the biggest key to this is Nathaniel Ledbetter. Um, and all of the other times that we've done this, we've never had a House Speaker who was backing the legislation, never. It's never happened before. Uh, at best, we've had a House Speaker that w- that begrudgingly allowed it to come up for a vote, and then did not steer it towards passage. Um, and I'll say that there are very few pieces of legislation that roll into our legislature that have the backing of Senate leadership, House leadership, and the governor's office that don't get passed. And I think that that's uh, where we are now. I, having said that, I've not seen the bill, um, and and I, you know, there are some sticking points there with a lot of people that are involved in this, um, particularly this this RFP process and how they're going to hand out licenses and things like that. Now, I mean, I'm of the opinion that. The bill—it's only a good bill if you can pass it. Okay, it doesn't matter if you can't—if you can't pass it, it doesn't right. matter. And—and right, uh, right, right. and I don't—you can't pass one that cuts out the folks in Macon County, uh, the Porch Creeks, uh, and the, fo- the folks in Jefferson County, and the folks in in Green County. You, you can't do it. It's never going to pass. Uh, so. Now, you know, I know people talk about this licensing thing and want to open it up to licenses, you know, the licenses to sell it to, to who are the highest bidder and do the, all these other, you know, bring in MGM or Sands or what, whatever. Uh, and I, that's it's not a bad idea. I'm not necessarily knocking it, but I am knocking the idea that you're going to come in and shut down long running Alabama businesses to do so. Um, and you know, just because now you've decided, oh, well, we're going to legalize what these folks have been doing and we're not going to, you know, and I don't think you're going to get it passed that way. So I think that is a sticking point. I'm interested to see how that's handled in the bill. Uh, I know, I know from talking to Andy Witt, which we did a few weeks ago, that it, the, the, the sites are going to be confined to the counties where there is currently gaming. Uh, that's, that's going to include uh, Green, Jefferson, Macon, uh, Lowndes, and I believe Houston uh, County. But um, uh, we'll, we'll see when that, and Mobile, Mobile County as well. And then a place in Northeast Alabama that, uh, as, as assuming the Porch Creeks can reach an agreement with the folks up in, I, I want to say, I, I believe it's going to go in Fort Payne or in that general area, okay. uh, somewhere somewhere near the interstate there to, to grab the traffic in and around that that spot. Right. Um, so I, I honestly, okay. yes, I think I think this is going to pass. All right. So and, one other 
Oh, well, let me say one more thing about what yeah. you asked there. It, it is absolutely true and should never be forgotten that what this bill does is give the people the right to vote. All right. This is not passing. When they pass this, it right. doesn't mean we're going to have gaming. It means the people come election time in November are going to have the option on the ballot to vote yes or no on this comprehensive gaming bill. All right. So now the other the other key thing here that uh, comes to mind is I hear a lot of talk about gaming. I I haven't heard anything about a lottery. Oh, it's in there. It's in there. Oh, is the lottery in there? Yeah, it's a, so the what, what this bill in. will include is um is gambling uh, well we have the casinos that we talked about and there'll be there'll be full casinos with all the normal stuff that you see in in Biloxi and you know uh, Tunica and, and Las Vegas. There will be uh sports wagering. Uh I'm assuming both on-site and mobile sports wagering like we have currently in Mississippi and in Tennessee. Um, and there will be a lottery uh, component to this as well. There'll be a statewide lottery. Is my understanding they're going to enter into the um, uh, the Powerballs, uh, whatever that, that little association of lotteries is, and so it'll be a little lottery just like they have in all the other states. Hmm. All right. So now I, I will say this. That there are two things that I believe are going to be excluded, and that is being able to play the lottery on your phone, which I kind of disagree with. I think if you want to play the lottery on your phone, you ought to be able to do so. And and the second thing is they're also, I believe, they're going to bar casino gambling uh, from, from mobile devices. Um, you'll be able to sports wager, um, which, all right, uh, but you will not be able to play blackjack and things like that online. Well, I don't understand, like you just suggested, what, what's the problem with playing the lottery on your phone? Why would that be an issue? Well, they, you know, they, they claim that it, it's, it's too easy of access. Um, oh, like and, more addictive or something? Yeah, is, more is addictive. A, and, oh, and because okay. cause they come up with, you know, there, there are other games. It's not just the, the typical lottery uh, picking numbers and waiting on the drawing sort of things. You know, there's also the scratch-off. They can do instant scratch-offs on uh, on your, on your phone and, uh, and things like that. And, and all, you know, kind of, kind of just regular games almost uh, that you play mm. and you can win money and lose money. Uh, and so that, that's, that's a lot of the pushback on, on the lottery, uh, aspect of it. And, you know, they, they also have what's, you know, called lottery terminals, uh, where they, it's almost like a slot machine. And you can, uh, they, th- that was, see, that's the fear of, that's the reason why we'll never have just a lottery only thing. Because if you have this lottery, it opens it up for, allegedly, a lot of people believe it, it would open it up for the Porch Creeks to then have the lottery terminals because we would have lottery, a lottery in the state and they would be able to offer those lottery terminal games, which are better games than the electronic bingo games. So, hmm. you know, that, that's always been the sticking point on a lottery only uh, deal. Okay. That and the fact that everybody knows that once we pass one gaming bill, that's a wrap. We're never going to do this shit again for another thirty years. So right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but yeah. So listen, here before long, we will have uh, in this state. I believe we're going to have uh, comprehensive gambling and legalized recreational weed. Uh, so um, we. I mean, it, oh, it's, oh, recreational weed. Oh, it is coming. Yeah, it's coming. But I would think, the, I mean, what's coming first? I would think the gambling will get here before the recreation. Oh, the gambling's coming first. Yeah, it, yeah. the gambling will be here. You know, I would say, I, honestly, I do believe this is it's just probably going to get done. I, just the way it's being handled and the way it's 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 kind of not being talked about. Um, it 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 just it 
there's there's a lot of confidence that the votes are there to get this done and pass through. And and listen, they've taken a good approach. I got to give them credit for it. They've taken a good approach, which is I don't know if you've seen the the op eds from from a couple of different uh, lawmakers. It says, "I am a yes on gambling legislation. I'm a no on the gambling vote." Hmm. And I, I think that's a that's a that's a brilliant way of looking at this, and mm-hmm. it's a brilliant way of getting this thing passed. Listen, I here's what everybody says they want. Okay, we're gonna put it on the table. If you want it, vote for it. If you don't, vote against it. Right. That's we're walking away. You know, this right. is like, this is your shot. Don't bring it back up for a while if you vote it down. So, you know, I I think that's I think that's going to be a big key. Um, and listen, I can tell you this. There's not a media outlet in the state that isn't excited about this. Oh, sure. More advertising. There's going to be billions of dollars of advertising rolled through here, man. I mean, just bukus of money. So, I mean, it's going to be fantastic. But, um, you know, it's a, to me, I'm going to say this. This is, like I said, I don't gamble all that much. You know, I I don't. I'm I'm not a casino kind of a person, really. I I don't, it's not my comfort zone. I could go play poker, uh, you know, and I do some sports wagering, but that's about it. And um, I, I want this to be done, and I want it to be done because I believe that currently we already have most of the gambling that's occurring here, mm-hmm. um, including the lottery that uh, thousands and thousands of Alabamians, t- I mean tens of thousands of Alabamians yeah. every year cross go state to, lines, cross state yeah. lines, and yeah. spend this money. And we have allowed now over the last twenty years. A generation of of at-risk students in Georgia and Tennessee to take advantage of scholarships that have benefited them and their families to no end. I mean, there, there's no mm-hmm. measurement of what they've been able to do. You, listen, you can measure the, the, the awfulness of the lottery and talk about how terrible it is or whatever. But when we talk about it in that aspect, and if you're already doing it, then... Mm-hmm. You know what? What are we? Who are we fooling here? You know. Yeah, and that's always been my point, and I think I think I shared with you, um, you know, that uh, some years ago, probably twenty five, thirty years ago, I attended uh, a session that was led by Milton McGregor, your your old, your old buddy, may he rest right. in peace. And and when he broke that thing down, in terms of st- you know just statistically how many Alabamians were supporting the neighboring states crazy by buying lottery tickets. That's what turned me around. I was like, well shoot, if that's going on, then yeah. what are we doing? We oh, need to it? we need to rec- we need to get the lottery in here and and benefit from it instead of sending all this money out. Absolutely. It's I mean it's uh you look you look at the stats from these neighboring states from Tennessee and, and Georgia uh, and, and Florida. And Florida. And yeah. and every single one of them the highest grossing sales uh, location for lottery tickets are along the Alabama border. Every single one of them. I mean, it just, it's, it's insane how much we spend in other people to send other people's kids to school, you know? And it's just, uh, and not only that, there's other benefits from this. You know, Tennessee doesn't have a state income tax. Uh, Tennessee also has free community colleges. Uh, up there. I mean, you know, uh, we have right now, I think, a really great vocational program that's taking place in our community colleges that is, is training people for jobs where there are, are really big needs and really good jobs and really good careers. Uh, and we could offer that for free 
We could offer it for free to every student in this state, and with with this lottery, if we did, if we put the money in the right place, and you know, I, and I, I've talked to to my best friend Will Ainsworth about this, and uh, and he said, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> and so glad said you're yeah. I'm, gl- I'm glad you're copping to that. I'm glad you're copping to that. Go ahead. Uh, he, no, but you know, I, and I don't know if you noticed this a, a while back that, that he had this uh, study uh, uh, of workforce development study uh, group that came out with. I mean, it, it was a fantastic list of ideas. It really, really was. It was one of the most progressive things I've seen come out of the state in a long time. Uh, where he talked about you know, the child care and housing, and I mean, it was it was a a, a list of. If you asked the the average progressive to come up with a list, this was the would be the list, you know, mm. of things. And and one of them on there was was you know figuring out a way to have more workforce development and training in these locations. And I said, you know, the best way to do it is is through this lottery. You know, divert those funds from the lottery over to that. And uh, I mean, you you pay for everybody to go. And it just, I. I to me, it just doesn't make any sense to continue doing what we're doing. And, yeah, yeah. you know, I don't know. Yeah, and I figure, you know, I'm, you know, I don't, you know, I've gambled maybe, maybe four times in my life. Like I yeah. said, I don't, I, I, I didn't spend $20. I probably didn't even spend $10, honestly. Uh, I will probably, if we get a lottery here, I'll probably buy a ticket once a month if if yeah. that maybe once every two months yeah. you know just to just to say i've done it and to support you know the cause but but for people for whom this is a regular activity mm-hmm. in this state we need to get that money in here it's not going to be for people like me right. it's going to be for people that really they you know this is a part of their life this is what yeah. they do you know? Yeah, and I'll tell you something else, too. Um, all of these other states, uh, most of the states that have a lottery, a portion of that goes to gambling addiction. And, uh, you know, we've, we don't have any of that. So this is that's another avenue uh, that we could fund uh, if, we, if we passed it and regulated it, uh, you know, passed this legislation and voted it in and regulated it properly and did all that. All right, let's, uh, let's slide out of here. Uh, we're going to come back with uh, former U.S. Senator Doug Jones. Is going to talk about uh, the good progress of the Alabama Democratic Party. You you heard me correct. The good progress of the Alabama yeah. Democratic Party. Uh, we'll be back in a minute. It's Alabama Politics This Week, brought to you by Wind Creek Entertainment. Hey, uh, if y'all would do us a favor. And uh, go, to, if you're on Apple Podcasts, go and rate and review our little podcast here. Uh, that would be very, very helpful for us. Uh, you know, people might pay us to do this. You uh, never know. Yeah, but yeah, but let's not stop at Apple. Also, uh, you can do the same thing on Google Play, Amazon, and some of the more Android-friendly, uh, you know, platforms uh, as well. I forget that Davis and Android guy. I am. <laughs> Me, I'm a conformist. And so, you know, go to Apple. But seriously, wherever you go, just do it. Just, just go and, and rate and review, and, and that would be very nice. Unless you're going to leave a bad one. Don't do, don't do that. Just don't, don't, like that. don't leave a bad one. Thank you. All righty. 
Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Boone, David Person, and we are happy, as always, uh, to have with us former U.S. Senator Doug Jones uh, and, and Alabama's best mm-hmm. senator. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, you know, it's still still wake up at, with nightmares at night <laughs> thinking about what we have. Um, and so, uh, 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 Senator, thank you for joining us. Josh, it's great to be with you and David, as always. I appreciate the invite. Yes, sir. Hey, we wanted to get you on uh, because you wrote a letter, um, and honestly, it kind of caught me off guard a little bit uh, because uh, it was uh, it was a nice letter praising the the current, uh, I guess, the current leadership or at least the the current uh, Alabama Democratic Party setup and and the executive committee uh, for their actions uh, that that were taken last Saturday at their annual meeting, in which they uh, they kind of readopted old bylaws and and reinstated old caucuses, uh, diversity caucuses, and kind of brought the party back into compliance with the DNC. I, I, I guess what, what prompted you to, to, to write the letter? Well, because it, 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 exactly what you just said. It, it did exactly what we set out to do uh, with new bylaws in 2018 and 2019. You know, there were challenges then uh, after the uh, election of officers in 2018. The party was not inclusive. The party didn't have a diversity. The average age of the party members at that point, at least on the state Democratic Executive Committee, was probably close to 60 years old. There was no youth, there was no Hispanic, LGBTQ plus were not represented. And so we had set out to do that. That happened. And then all of a sudden, um, it, 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 it got undone back in May. Uh, the DNC was not happy about that. A lot of people on the Executive Committee was not happy about that. And ultimately, the DNC said, y'all need to go back to the drawing board, and mm-hmm. you got to figure out a way to come together and do this. And so what ultimately happened, with a few minor changes that, quite frankly, Josh, could have been written into the old bylaws, but beside the point, they reinstated those caucuses. They've made the state Democratic Executive Committee a reflective of the Democratic electorate. They've put them back in there. Uh, with one exception of the Disability Caucus, and I think that they will keep trying to do that. And so what happened, ultimately what happened Saturday morning, even though I will tell you the meeting was confusing as hell if you just sit there and listen to it, but ultimately ultimately what they did in putting the caucuses back was exactly what we had fought for so hard back in 2018 and 2019. So yeah, I mean, when they do the right thing, I'm going to say, when they do the wrong thing, I'll say, but I, I thought that um, folks in the leadership, but also the challengers, and I want to make sure that people understand, it wasn't just the leadership. The leadership did agree to these, and I, I, I'm glad that they did. But there were some challengers who, who really spent a lot of time and effort working at this and getting their voices heard. And those challengers were, the, in fact, the leaders from those caucuses, people like April Hodges and uh, Antoine Womack and others that really stepped up to say, no, we've got to, we've got to be a more inclusive party. And they did it. And I'm yeah. happy for it. Yeah. You know, we, we've had, uh, uh, Reverend, uh, Dr. Kelly on uh, a few times. Uh, we've had Joe Reed on a couple of times and, uh, to talk about this exact situation, to talk about, you know, why did you blow up the bylaws and do this and, and, and create this hostility within the party? And, you know, I, it, it what struck me is is so what 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 surprised me about this this whole thing was at no point in here at, when talking to them on here when we tried to reason things out and all that at no point did it seem like they were willing to back away 
uh, that they were willing to back off of this, even when they went to, to D.C. and had the meeting. I mean, it was still this contentious meeting uh, where you had no faith whatsoever that they were ever going to put those uh, caucuses back in. So what what do you think happened? What 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 led to, to this in, in your mind? You know, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to be a half a, a glass half full kind of guy on this. And I'm going to say that I hope that they realize that, first of all, their biggest complaint about the old bylaws is that we were somehow diluting African-American votes on mm-hmm. the SDC. Um, I, that's when the name cost calling started right. against me. You know, Dixiecrat, George Wallace, Strom Thurmond, whatever, you right. know, which, which was absolutely not true, Josh. And I want people to understand that before we changed the bylaws in 2018, roughly, and, and, and bear with me for a percentage or two, but roughly 62% of the state Democratic exec- Executive Committee, before we changed the bylaws in 2018, before, mm-hmm. roughly 62% of the SDC was black. You added caucuses, you added like 50 people, okay? And when you added all those people and you did the, the numbers again, the number of, of African-Americans on the committee was still 62%. It was the exact, so there was no dilution. And, and it was hard to get that across when you had some folks you know, talking about it all the time. Yeah. But those were the numbers, and so we didn't do that. So I like to think that folks understood. One of the small changes that I mentioned earlier that could have been, that was made, and that I think could have been made with just an addition to the old bylaws, was a statement in there that nothing uh, that uh, the at-large members that are added for these caucuses, nothing would be done to dilute the black vote on the SDC. No one ever, ever tried to do that. No one ever did do that. But putting it in the bylaws, I think, was absolutely appropriate, including the fact that if for some reason you did dilute them, then the minority, the black caucus would be able to put a couple of folks on, um, you know, to make up for it. That was no problem. So, I hope that a combination of things with the DNC, who was pretty insistent, remember that I think they realized at one point that it was the DNC who really pushed the bylaw changes in 2018 and 2019. They had to approve them. And they went through a long process. And I wish there had been some more participation to kind of get those, but they they didn't participate at the time. But the DNC, these were their bylaws in 2018 and 2019. And so you go back to that, and I like to think that the the challengers, the the you know the the younger folks and the Hispanics and others, uh, Tabitha uh, was a, a challenger, had an effect to say, look, we need to have an inclusive party. And these people need a voice, and the way you do that is by doing these caucuses. So I'm going to give everybody the benefit of the doubt that you came together after some very difficult discussions and negotiations and came together as best as you can. You did not get everything there. I can say the disability caucus is still not included, but I think people realize that this was a very good major step and you can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. So do you feel, Doug, that the the worst is over and that now we're gonna have the Alabama Democratic Party moving in a much more productive direction one that will really have us ready for these upcoming elections? Well, David, that's a really good question. I think that remains to be seen. I think that, the, I, I think that can happen. But I, I also think that there's a lot of distrust 
uh, among the members on all sides. There's just a lot of distrust. This is this is done now, and we'll see how things go. But I hope so. We got some interesting races coming up. We've got the second congressional district that we all need to be working toward together. Um, that's going to be a very uh, difficult race. A lot of people that uh, are friends of mine are running against each other. It's going to be. It's going to be. You know, it's going to get rough and tumble before that runoff is completed in mid-April. But we'll have time to come back together. I think we really started needing to look toward 26. But I am also convinced, David, that we've got to get Democrats across the state. Uh, at the very basic level, the Democratic Party in Alabama will not change from the top down. Uh, I think we sh th that is clear from what happened in 2018 and 2019. And we've got to do with the party what Joe Biden has done with the economy, and that is build it from the ground up and the middle out. And that's going to be working with the, peop uh, the, the state party, but it's, uh, and hopefully the state party will not work against folks, but it's also going to be working with a number of groups around the state, like ADC, like New South, like the county parties, like all of the clubs that are around, it, because it's the grassroots level, it's those local folks where the rubber meets the road. They've got to recruit people in. We've got to have some town halls. We've got to get out there and get the message out about what we stand for. And I think if we do that at the local level and you get the support of that from the state party, then we can have some success in, in uh, 2026. But make no mistake, it is a long, tough road and we're not going to win a lot of elections and hopefully we'll win some. But the key that we've got to do before we can start winning elections on a statewide level, we've just got to get competitive and we got to get some really good candidates and candidate recruitment is going to be a key. All right. I want to shift gears for just a minute, Doug. You and uh, former Republican uh, Senator John Danforth and also former Democratic uh, House Speaker Richard uh, Gephardt, Dick Gephardt, uh, have taken a very, I think, interesting position uh, as it relates to the uh, the, uh, the 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 negative impact, I'm just going to phrase it that way: the negative impact that centrist groups may have when it comes to the upcoming presidential election, and I think specifically the group No Labels. Uh, and uh, and and as I understand your position, it's that uh, your concern is that third-party tickets could possibly create what is called a contingent election, meaning that, uh, that, that no one candidate will reach that magical number of 270 electoral votes. Could you talk a little bit more about that and, and what your concerns are and, and, and how you think, at least in Alabama and maybe the nation, Democrats need to approach this? Well, yeah, David, thanks for asking that, because I've been very active with a number of groups that are trying to, to raise the alarm bells about third-party candidates uh, and independent candidates. Because right now, we, I, I think we're at an inflection point in this country uh, in which democracy is on the ballot like it has never been before. And I am very concerned, and I'm just candid, even in, in Alabama, and I know your audience, um, some, and it's mainly a lot of folks that uh, think like like we do, but uh, it doesn't matter. I, I'm telling you, I believe that Donald Trump is a threat to American democracy. I truly believe that. And if you look at this is a 
somebody who is m- more hell bent on retribution and and uh, uh, autocratic methods than they is about truly American democracy. And and I am very concerned about that. And what I'm concerned about with uh, a, a third party like a what they call a no labels being more of a centrist that that is going to that is going to break up the anti-Trump uh, coalition that I think helped uh, Joe Biden. Joe Biden got a lot of positive votes, but he also got folks that didn't like Donald Trump. And n- now we've got a situation where it is going to be a binary choice between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And what I worry about is if folks that would uh, do not want to vote for Trump, will not vote for Trump, if they see an off-ramp somewhere other than someone who uh, like Joe Biden, they will take it. And in these battleground states, so my concern is two points. In battleground states, they siphon enough votes away that Donald Trump wins the election. Remember, Donald Trump will only won the presidency. Nationwide, he got fewer votes than, than Hillary Clinton. But in those battleground states, like four or five of them, I think it's like three battleground states. If they had flipped just 60,000 votes among those three, Hillary Clinton would have been president of the United States. We wouldn't have all the problems with the Supreme Court. We wouldn't have some of the issues um, that we're having to deal with on, on, on culture wars and that kind of thing. But, but they didn't. And, and it was because, in part, you had Jill Stein and some third-party candidates that siphoned just enough votes away from Hillary Clinton. In 2020, that didn't happen. The, the, the coalition, the kind of what I call the pro-democracy coalition held, and Donald Trump got defeated, but he also didn't get defeated by much. It, it was, I think, seven, four to seven million votes nationwide, but it was still only tens of thousands among those battleground states. So if you now have, and, and they learned a lesson, they're promoting, the Trump candidacy is promoting, actively promoting his funding Uh, The big billionaire donors are actively promoting these third-party candidates. Steve Bannon is promoting Robert F. Kennedy Jr. You got funders like Harlan Crow that are funding no labels. They're actively doing that because they learned their lesson in 2020. And if they can split the anti-Trump vote and siphon votes away from Biden, then Trump could very, very well win those battleground states. I don't, there's no way in, on God's green earth that a third party or an independent candidate in today's world can, can win an election. It's never happened before. Even when Teddy Roosevelt tried to run, uh, the former president tried to run on the Bull Moose Party, he couldn't get enough. So they're not going to win 270 electoral votes, and that odds are they're not even going to be on the ballot in enough states. But I am worried that if they are successful more than I think in terms of the votes and they win two or three states, they could prevent Joe Biden from ha- winning 270 electoral votes. And then under the Constitution, it goes to the House of Representatives to elect the president. And that's what they call contingent election. I call it a worst case election. Because here's what happens. It, it doesn't really matter who's in control of Congress, because it's not like each member of the House gets a vote like they do for the speaker. Every state gets one vote, okay? So that Alabama, (laughs) as much as we'd like to think it's a good thing, we would get one vote, and the same as Texas, who has four or five times the population of Alabama. And there's there's that element of unfairness. And, And 
Can you imagine? Look at what's happening in the House of Representatives right now and has for the last. Look at the problems they had just electing a speaker. Can you imagine how chaotic it would be trying to elect a president of the United States, trying to come up with rules to do that, rules of debate, rules of procedure? And imagine, look what happened on January 6th when you had the just what should have been a routine um, counting of electoral votes and the peaceful transition of power. Can you imagine what would be going on outside the United States Capitol um, if some fiasco like that would happen? That is the danger this time of third-party candidates and independent candidates, that they happen to be wildly successful. So I'm urging so many people across this country to recognize that and understand that democracy is at stake. But we're also trying to get these uh, third-party and independent candidates to, on the one hand, just stand down. And that would be the ideal thing. But there's a separate thing we did yesterday, David, asking them to take a pledge. And that pledge is that, they, that if they are not on enough ballots to actually win 270 electoral votes by July 1st, take your name off the ballots in the, in the battleground states. Don't be a spoiler, because that's the only effect that you can have is to be a spoiler. So it's, 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 it's kind of complicated constitutional wonkiness, but it's time that people recognize how, how this situation, and the one thing that I worry about so much when I talk about protecting democracy and where we're moving, you only have to look at what's happening right now in Congress and with Donald Trump. And people say certain things can never happen in the United States. Well, folks, they can. They absolutely can. And we've got to be on guard. We've got to get everybody out to vote in Alabama and everywhere else. We've got to start making sure that we, this, this republic that we've had for almost 250 years, we have for at least another 250. With, with all of that in mind, uh, one, one more here, and we'll let you get to, to hunting. Um, but with everything that you just said and, and the dire circumstances that we're under and, and knowing who our Department of Justice is controlled by at this point, um, and seeing polling, poll after poll after poll, that shows uh, that a, a large percentage of the American public, Republican and, and Democrat, would not vote for a presidential candidate who was guilty of a felony. Do you think that we have been too slow to prosecute Donald Trump for what happened on January 6th? Well, it's a little, little, little bit unfair given the circumstances. Uh after the election and the, the horse race to be, to be AG. Uh, right. I, would, I would have liked to have seen things move quicker, for sure. Um, but, I'd, we, you know, the thing that we don't know, Josh, we don't know everything that's going on behind the scenes. Um, and those cases are difficult. And the magnitude of that case, the magnitude of the other cases, uh, is, is unlike anything else we've ever seen in this country. And so I, I know this. I know that Merrick Garland... And those that are working on those cases want to get it right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that just takes longer than people would like. Now it's in the courts. And that's the, that's the other issue that DOJ can't really control. And that was, the, that was the problem when it took so long at the beginning. Once it got to the end of the court system, DOJ can try to have influence, but they can't really control. And right. so that's what we're bumping up against to now. You know that the, the ruling yesterday was incredibly significant, and if they can, and they there's a chance that they can move it a little bit quicker now. And quite frankly, everybody thinks that this will go to the Supreme Court, and it might. 
But then again, that's that opinion was so damn strong yesterday. They may just turn this down. I mean, that opinion was very, very strong, and it was a no-brainer opinion that, that the President of the United States cannot, no one can enjoy absolute immunity, okay? And, and so there's, I still think that there's a chance that the Supreme Court of the United States says, you know, we're not even going to hear that case. There's no point. This is a good right. opinion. We're not going to hear this case. Um, and, and, and regardless, they're going to need to stay something again. They're going to need to issue a stay to not get it back on the docket. Because now, once the appeal is over, Judge Chutkin can put it on the docket, set it for trial. And so we'll see, we'll see how that goes. But I, I, you know, I would have loved to have seen it going a little bit quicker. But again, I, I just, there's just so many things that, that I know, having been there, that go on behind the scenes and grand jury and investigative work. And, and internal, internal review and back and forth and getting people to debate the, the evidence and the law and how it applies. That's a long process. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I'm sorry to put you on know, the spot. It's okay. You know, it's, it's, uh, uh, but it just, uh, you know, it, it seems like we're, we're in the, uh, facing the very real possibility of having a felon pardon himself. Uh, well, so I, it's... I, I, I agree. But, you know, um, and I do hope before we get out of here, um, you know, the last controversy or the latest controversy a little bit with the Democratic Party is delegate selection. And, and right. you know, I, that, that's, a, that's a controversy that shouldn't even be a controversy, too. Please, and I don't yeah. know if y'all wanted to talk about that. I know there's a sure. lot, of, mis, there's a lot yeah. of misinformation about that as well out there. Yeah, yeah. Well, so yeah, we we had we had Randy Kelly on and talked to him a little bit about that, uh, and his his comment was uh, we uh, the, the the this delegate selection where uh, uh, the the candidates uh, the campaign have come in and and said we we want different delegates uh, than than these folks here. We're going to select our own delegates. Uh, he was upset about this because um, he said you know this has has happened in the past, but in the past they've also had conversations with us about this and then of course joe reed uh, said he he was thinking of uh, filing a lawsuit and randy kelly said told us that it was probably going to come to that yeah you know look i, I listened to that and unfortunately i don't think the, ch the chairman gave you the full picture of the delegate selection process okay uh, because it, it it implied that that it was it would be over with this initial selection and that he was concerned that it didn't it hit the racial goals of the Alabama Democratic electorate. That was the, the number one thing. And the second thing was not giving people choice about these delegates. Well, so I, I want to take just a second, Josh, and explain the delegate selection process that has essentially existed for decades uh, in Alabama now, because the election of delegates, according to congressional districts, is only the first phase. And that is done by delegates, that is done by elections per congressional district. And the number of delegates uh, designated for each congressional district are des uh, determined based on the percentage of the Democratic vote. So that obviously Terry Sewell's district gets more delegates than, say, Robert Adderholt's district, okay? Mm -hmm. Because we got more Democrats uh, concentrated in that. But there's a finite number, and those are popularly elected. And just and and then once that happens, there are delegates that are held back that are selected that are at-large delegates, mm -hmm. and the at-large delegates are selected so that you meet the racial goals, the 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 youth goals, youth 
you know, race, um, sexual orientation, you meet those goals by putting on the at-large delegates. It's exactly the same way that the state Democratic Executive Committee uh, is done. We right. elect by House districts. The other thing I want folks to remember is that these are these delegates are not like state legislators or members of Congress. They don't represent mm. the people in the district. They just come from the district. They represent a candidate. They're there solely for a candidate. And the particular thing that the Biden administration has elected to do, and this is something that the chairman failed to tell you, was consistent and in, in, in accordance with the provisions of the delegate selection plan that they submitted to the DNC. In other words, a delegate selection plan is submitted in which it gives every candidate for president the opportunity to essentially approve or select their delegates. That's been the way it has been for decades. It's why it has happened in the past. And I think that the that they look, the Biden uh, uh, campaign made this decision and they solely made the decision. I can tell you that. Um, and I think they did talk to some folks. They may not have talked to the chairman. They may not have talked to Dr. Reed. But, you know, when, when you're a candidate, you want to talk to people that you know. And if you all remember, um, Dr. Reed and Chairman Kelly uh, in 2020 supported a different candidate. They supported Mike Bloomberg in the Democratic primary. They didn't support Joe Biden um, at the time. So I know that they were talking to folks to get names. And right. to get, but I can tell you that, they, that it was the campaign, solely the campaign, with no influence, no shenanigans. They made a decision with everything that was going on for whatever reason they did, that they wanted to have their people that they knew that they trusted. And so they made the decision to exercise the very clause, the very um, provision that the state party with Randy Kelly as chair, the state party submitted to them for approval. So this is, it's just, it doesn't always happen, but it's not that unusual as, as the chairman said, it has happened before. And they have talked to some folks. They just apparently didn't talk to them. Well, that definitely uh, puts things in a, in, a, in a completely different light uh, than, than, than what he kind of explained to us and the, and the uh, bad feelings. And it also makes you wonder exactly who they would sue for any of this. So, well, I mean, you know, the, I, I think historically, the, you know, there were lawsuits filed over the state Democratic, the bylaws things in 2018 uh -huh. and 2019. And unless they, they can prove a racial issue under, um, you know, when the, when the delegate selection plan is over, then there's no lawsuit under the consent decree. And state courts are very, very reluctant. They don't get involved in party affairs. And right. the delegate selection, only part of the selection plan will be over on primary day. There will still be the, the at-large members and what they call uh, uh, party leaders and elected officials. We'll get a few of those. You know, Chairman Kelly is automatically a delegate. Um, Tabitha Eisner is automatically a, a delegate. And then we've got three or four um, DNC members that are elected to represent us at the DNC that are automatically delegates too. Everybody else runs as a pledged delegate for a candidate. If you run as an uncommitted candidate, and I don't know if there's, quite frankly, if there's any uncommitted candidates on there, 
if an uncommitted candidate happens to get enough votes, then that then that uncommitted candidate would maybe get a a, a spot. So, Doug, yeah. before you run, hmm. let me let me follow up on something you said. You said that they may not have the DNC may not have talked to Chairman Kelly or uh, or Doctor Reed. My question is, should they have, or shouldn't they have? I don't know. I don't. I don't think that. I. I don't think that necessarily, a candidate should have to talk to the state party chair when de, when deciding on who they want to represent them at the convention and delegates. Um, I think it's normal to do that um, as an advisory role. Um, you you call and get their names, get their advice, but they don't have to take it. So I don't think they have to. Um, and I don't, so I don't know. I, you'll, somebody's going to have to ask them why they didn't do it. But uh, if they didn't, but I, I don't think they necessarily should or should not. I think it depends on every, uh, every candidate. Because the one thing I know is that they went, you remember, David, even, even when you're the president of the United States, you've still got to gather signatures to get your name on the ballot in a primary. Okay. And, and, and when that happened, when they called uh, down to Alabama to start organizing to get signatures, they called us, they called me. And I put them in touch with some folks and it was the, it was the kind of the Doug Jones organization that helped get out there to get the, the ballots, um, get names uh, on the petition, just like we did in 2020. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, as we told uh, Randy Kelly, uh, this delegate process is is really kind of a mystery to us and I think to a lot of people. Uh, and so, you know, it, it always helps to have somebody who knows what they're talking about come yeah. on and talk about it. And Josh, uh, it's, it's a mystery because in part, let me ask you both guys, can you name the, the delegates that, that were at the 2020 or 2016 uh, convention that represented uh, your congressional district? No. Mm, I can probably name one. State Representative Hall. Okay, and and I think she's on the ballot this time. Yeah, um, that was a, a pretty obvious choice. The point is that the delegates are for the candidate. It's not like they're representing the the electorate down in Montgomery or in Washington D.C. It's a it's a convention, and it's not the same as representative government. These are delegates uh, for a particular person. And that's 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 why. So it's there, I, look. I know a lot of people are disappointed. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know of people that were disappointed that have run every time, but they've never won. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you know, they but but they they like to be a part of it, and I get that. I I, I see that, but I also can see that I also can see a point that when you got a, a party that's still in a little bit of turmoil down here. And you got a party that is trying to exclude the diversity caucus and didn't have an affirmative action plan. That the the nominee, ostensibly the nominee, uh, uh, Joe Biden, would say, "Why don't we just go with folks that that we know?" I can yeah. I, I can understand that. That makes perfect sense to me. And quite frankly, it is why it is part of the delegate selection plan that the Alabama Democratic Party submitted. They always give a candidate the opportunity to select the delegates. And there is no requirement that they talk to anybody at all. It's just that they give them that opportunity 
uh, to select their delegates. The only thing that the, the candidate and the campaign has to do is that they also have to try to meet those diversity goals. And I think the okay. Biden campaign is certainly doing that. All righty. Well, listen, we, uh, I know we've held you up longer than we anticipated, <laughs> uh, but uh, good luck to you today, this afternoon in, the, uh, in, in your hunting endeavors uh, and, uh, and, and have fun at, uh, on, on vacation. And, uh, and, and I hope that we can get you back in here uh, sometime soon. You just call me anytime, guys. I'd love to be with you guys. And thanks for everything you guys are doing and the word you're getting out there because we've got some challenges ahead of us and we got to keep bringing up the issues. I mean, we've, I, I was watching last night, I was watching TV and one of our state board of education candidates uh, on the other side running. And all they want to talk about is anti-woke crap. Well, all they want to yeah. talk about is essentially banning books. And uh -huh. we've got to get the message out of what, of what it really means to move forward in a state, Thanks, not Luke. backwards. Yeah. So thank yeah. you for all you guys did. Yeah, appreciate We're going to do our best. We're going to do this. Thank you so much for joining us. All right. Y'all take care. All right. Thank you. Bye. That is a uh, former U.S. Senator Doug Jones. Always happy to have him on. He, he does a, he did a fantastic job. I wish he was still yeah. there. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. He'd be a lot better off. What we've got now. Yeah, you think? Yeah. All right, let's uh let's slide out of here. We'll come back in just a moment. We'll wrap this thing up. It's Alabama Politics this week. Back in a minute. If you're hearing my voice, that means you are a fan of Alabama Politics this week, and I want to tell you how grateful I am that you listen and that you're engaged with what Josh and I talk about every week. So, I want to ask you to continue listening and uh, continue to support us and definitely reach out with ideas, comments, suggestions. Uh, your support makes a difference and it means a lot. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon, David Person. Uh, always nice to have uh, the former senator. Yeah. It's, uh, very it's good. good. Very substantive. Um, and he really, I like the fact that he brought up the delegate thing. I, I, you know, that had crossed my mind, but I thought, well, he's trying to, he's trying to get out of here so he can go hunting. So, so yeah. I wasn't going to bring yeah. it up. Yeah, all right, we're trying to up, let him go. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were trying to, we were trying to let him, uh, let him get out of there, and uh, he mm. was, uh, he wasn't hearing it. He was, uh, he was getting himself uh, uh, out of there, and we, we got an email. I was going to tell people if they wanted to. Uh, if they wanted to email us, you can do so at apwproducer at gmail.com. That's apwproducer at gmail.com. Um, uh, email just uh, wanted to thank us for ha uh, for having a longer than normal show. Mm. Mm. That's right. So you know what? We're bumping <laughs> it back up. That's right. That's right. You don't want to hear us? Hit the pause button. Leave. Same way you got in is the same way you get out, okay? Uh, I listen to podcasts as I'm doing chores, and it's really nice not having to switch from podcast to podcast every 15 to 30 minutes. You are welcome. And this is from Don. And Don, you're, you're welcome for that. Uh, on a more serious note, uh, thanks for the education about Alabama politics. I've only been in Alabama for about three years, and it's amazing how different this place is from Georgia. I've learned more from this show than from any other source. Well. I, we appreciate the compliment, but honestly, Don, pretty low bar. Pretty low bar. Okay. Uh, 
Uh, but but uh, but thank you for uh, uh, for the very nice email. And if uh, if anybody else would like, if you'd like to email in with uh, nice comments, uh, oh, I'll tell you this: we are gonna have. Uh, let me go ahead and mention it now, and I'll try to find the, um, uh, the some of the information on this as I, as I'm talking about it. But we are gonna have a a contest. Uh, I know I don't I don't think I don't I think don't. you even know no, about this, this shit. Do you, contest. We are going to give away tickets. Yeah, we're going to give away tickets to Selma okay. the Musical. We are going to have two pairs of tickets to give away. And we're going to do so by writing a random right. email. Uh, sending in your emails for the for these. Uh, and I'm, I'm trying to find... I know I got a list of, of when this... Uh, it's going to go on. I'm going to have more info on it next week. Okay. Uh, but uh, and we're going to have uh, the the producer director on as well, Ooh. and uh, and so we're we're going to have uh, uh, some folks in here for that. Uh, it's all through our um, through our new partners at the Southern Poverty Law Center. Very cool. Now, is this yeah. is this musical based on the movie Selma, or is this um, different? I'm a, Johnson. you know what? I don't think so. And, and we can, we can talk more about this, but, uh, this is, it's coming up February 23rd. Okay. Uh, at 6 PM at the Montgomery performing arts center in Montgomery. Okay. Uh, so, uh, and, and these will be, listen, we're not giving away nosebleed seats here. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So these will be good seats. Cool. Um, it's, uh, this is Selma, the musical, the untold stories. All right. I like uh, that. From what I understand, I like it's a really, really good, musical mm-hmm. uh it's really good g- really good production mm-hmm. of the musical as well and um and I, I i'm hopeful that uh we'll get uh, a lot of great responses uh of folks who want to who want to see this yeah. uh they'll email in and we'll we'll give these things away uh by, by random email and we'll let you know uh a little closer to the uh to the time i guess we'll uh we'll, we can give them away probably i think it's the week prior to um or the week of, actually, I, I believe. Let me see. Let me check and make sure because that is that's on a Friday. Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll give them away on the twenty first. Okay. That works for everybody. Uh, we'll give them away on the twenty first. I'm assuming they're going to be left for you at the wheel call window at the Montgomery Performing Arts Center in Montgomery. If you've ever been there, you know it's a very nice venue. I've uh, been to many many events at the at Impact, mm-hmm. uh, and um, and so we'll give them away. Uh, on the actually, we'll give them away. The the podcast will drop on the twenty third. We'll record it on the twenty first, mm-hmm. and uh, so we can that way we can, we can give everybody as, as much time as possible to email in and and listen. It'll be uh, it'll be a good thing. Um, all right, we got two things before oh, we get to the right. Just, just real quick. Oh, uh, sure. we got a nice shout out from um, a gentleman here in Huntsville who is a major player. I. I don't. I don't think he'd mind if I said his name, um, um, Dexter Strong. Oh yeah, yeah Dexter. Dexter Strong. I know Dexter. Yeah, Dexter Strong. Yeah. And he and I were judging a um, judging a Jack and Jill event for uh, some young young people that were giving speeches uh, sponsored by Jack the Jack and Jill organization, and um, and he said, "Man, he said uh, I listen to your podcast every week." Every week. 
No complaints about it being too long. No, he <laughs> no, he didn't complain about that. He knows he knows where the stop button is. <laughs> huh, but I just thought that was cool. Dexter Dexter is a sharp yeah, guy. Yeah, Dexter's a, yeah. He uh, worked at, uh, at ADP for a while. That's right. Uh, yeah, that's right. Did, uh, did communications over there. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, uh, he's a uh, good people. He good is. people, he Dexter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. All right. So, so two things before we uh, move forward. Uh, well, well, let's start with number one because I think the second one will probably send me on a little bit of a rant. But uh, the first one, um, and the first one might as well. Uh, so, uh, the the ADC, the Alabama Democratic Conference, which is the Black Caucus of ADP, um, uh, issued out their endorsements uh, on. I guess it was Saturday, uh, technically, but they've just kind of started to to trickle out into news stories. I've noticed. Um, they uh, in the all important congressional second congressional district race, uh, they they supported Napoleon Bracy, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, there were some other ones, but really that's the only one anybody cares about. Um, I mean, there were some judges and some other stuff like that, but really this is the only one anybody cares about right now. Um, so, just <laughs> for me to tell you what happened behind the scenes. Yeah, tell me. So you'll be shocked to learn that there was some controversy uh, there because it seems as if uh, Napoleon Bracey is the favored candidate of the Reeds. Um, he is, uh, he, I, I don't know what the relationship between he and uh, Joey Reed, uh, would be Joe, uh, Joe Jr., uh, the attorney in Montgomery, uh, but not Dr. Reed. Um I don't know what their relationship is, but apparently they have one. And so in the vote, now this, this didn't come from me out, and I can tell you who this came from. This came from a young lady who was is a delegate there. She also writes for a Bullock County uh, newspaper. Um, and let me see if I can if I can pull up what she had to say, because uh, she, she sent me what she wrote for the newspaper there. Uh, just... Uh, Da, da, da. The, so uh, <laughs> uh, she she wrote this here. The sixty fourth Alabama ADC convention uh, took place. A post lunch and delegate delegation process, leaving attendees questioning the integrity of the proceedings. Mm-mm. Uh, representing Bullock, he went through who was representing Bullock County. She is one of the delegates who was there representing Bullock County. There were three. Um, Dr. Joel Reed played a pivotal role in the controversy by motioning for a vote recount. So apparently what took place was they held a vote. They established their top two candidates uh, there who were Anthony Daniels and Napoleon Bracey. And then they held a vote uh, for those two to determine who would be their, who would who would receive their endorsement? The first vote, according to Dennis, Kayla Dennis, Anthony Daniels came out on top by a couple of votes. There was a recount, handled. at which point, she says to me, there were thirty four delegates in the room when we started this. So Johnny Ford left leaving us with 33, said the final vote total to give Napoleon Bracey the endorsement was 19 to 17. Hmm. Now, I don't know if y'all went to the same math school I went. Hmm. 
she said there were three people in the room who were not delegates mm-hmm. that were admitted in there as non-delegates who stated that they were not delegates mm-hmm. and they were allowed to cast votes. Hmm. And all three of them uh, surprisingly casted the votes for Napoleon Bracey. Hmm. Um, when she brought this up, this, uh, this, uh, she said, amidst this revelation, I sought to address the issue and shed light on the irregularities. However, Dr. Reed, anticipating a challenge, refused to allow me to continue speaking. Hmm. Uh, she said that one of the people who voted, she had spoken with, and she told her flat out that she was not a delegate. And when she brought that up to them and said, this lady has told me she's not a delegate mm-hmm. here. The lady said, uh, they said, well, it'd still be 18 to 17. Well, I'll just say um, that that's, that's a... Uh... <laughs> Well, there's a lot that I'd like to say. <laughs> let me let me just summarize what I what I'd like to say this way. Uh, it's a bad look. It's an yes! extremely bad look. Uh, and and I don't know how you if if your best answer is well, it still would have been eighteen to seventeen. That seems to be awfully freaking dismissive of the democratic process. Uh, yes, I just, doesn't it? Though? Uh, that's, yeah, that's the problem, man. And that's not. And this I, is I not a knock against. Why didn't they just? The why didn't they just say, "Well, we're gonna du- we're gonna double endorse these people here"? You know, we're gonna double endorse Anthony Daniels and Napoleon. They, they could have done they, that. You know, they could have done that. Uh, you know, and this is not a knock on Bracy at all. Um, no, but I just. I, I mean, but the process. That's that's uh, that's funky, man. That's a foul <laughs> that process. Funky is a good way of putting it. Funky is a good. There was also some other interesting things that went down there there was a dual endorsement uh in, in a judge's race huh. you'll be shocked to learn that the person that got the dual endorsement was also a friend of the reed mm. uh mm. it's just i mean you know what i mean it's just it's just silliness at this point and i don't know how anybody can take it seriously i really don't i don't i don't know how, how you it, it 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 so cheapens the endorsement of a very important caucus mm-hmm. in our mm-hmm. state it really does. It really cheapens mm-hmm. the the endorsement importance, and and I think that that's a shame. No, I agree, yeah. and and that really is paramount. I think what you just said is paramount. The ADC uh, has the ability to be uh, extremely influential, but when you hear uh-huh. stories like that, you just think, oh, this is just a this is what is this a mafia or something? What is this? Yeah, right. You know, that's yeah. that's not a yeah, good and look. They, and these people, that's not a good look. They, they don't know, you know, these folks here, they don't have really any investment in any of this. I mean, this Kayla Dennis uh, lady, she doesn't, she, I talked to her. She doesn't, you know, she didn't know, she didn't even know who I was, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so she was like, well, and now what, who are you again? You know, you know, why are you calling? And I, and I, and I just said, listen, I, I, I heard that there was something that went on and that you were writing a story about this. And she said, Yes, I absolutely am. And she said, would you like for me to send it to you? I said, absolutely. I would love for you to send it to me. I mean, it's just, you know what I mean? It's just ridiculous. It's just utterly ridiculous. So anyways, now, um, equally ridiculous and sure to send me into a uh, spectacular rant. The rant that I predicted, Um, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. During our governor's state of the state, address last night. She announced her top legislative priority. And I know what you're thinking immediately. Oh, we're finally going to solve that health care thing. Oh, we're we're going to get down to knocking out that, you know, doing something about those prisons. 
School choice. Hmm. Where we choose to leave behind poor kids. Mm-hmm. Which is what, exactly what we're doing. Um, it, this is... I just put it like this. I, I'll say the same thing that I said on the, on the Facebook. They're going to give $7,000 basically tax breaks to people. They're going to put it in a fund that can only be dispersed to a private school or some organization that meets these qualifications, right? There's $7,000 per your child. The cost, the average cost of attendance at an Alabama private school is $8,333. Mm-hmm. That doesn't include lunch in most cases. Mm-hmm. That doesn't include transportation, and it doesn't include thousands of dollars worth of fees that kids have to pay for every mm-hmm. year in those schools. So where the hell are those poor kids going to come up with all that? And see, this is why, this is why I'm a big fan of your columns. And I have been for years. Because I, I got to be honest with you, um, when, I, when, I, when I started reading it, uh, of course I agreed with the premise. But then when you went into this thing about these extra costs... And that's when it became really crystal clear to me that uh, that what I already knew was a sham is a really uh, brazen sham. You know, it's almost like they're not even trying to hide that this is a sham. Nope. You know, those were excellent points you made, Josh. And, And it's profoundly disturbing that in the final analysis, it is crystal clear you laid it out in a way that is crystal clear that um, this is just another example of the people with means using their influence to shift public money away from the people who need it most to themselves and to other people like them who need it the least. Yes. And it's the that's same a, that's spirit. It's exactly it. I'll just say this in conclusion. It's the same spirit that permeated this state during the Jim Crow era and the post-Jim Crow era when people were running away from public schools and running to private schools because they didn't want their children in schools with black children. This is the same spirit. It's the same one. Yeah, listen, it's not even the same spirit. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. They're still doing it. Like, let me give you an example. In Montgomery right now, in the city of Montgomery, where Kay Ivey resides, all right, there are public schools. Mm-hmm. The public schools in Montgomery are 95% plus black students, all right? And when, we're talking, when, we talk, when we look at the, the whole of the public school system in Montgomery, we're talking about 95% plus black students. Not counting the magnet schools, where somehow or another they've managed to maintain a 50 50 split, a split of diversity. Um, but in, in the public schools, 95% plus black. In their private schools in Montgomery, in which at one point the city of Montgomery had more private schools than any other city in this country, mm. in, that, in those private schools, it is 95% plus white. It is segregation that they are funding. 
Okay, these are people who are already sending the people who are going to take advantage of this tax break are people who are already sending their kids to private school. Okay, that's who's going to take advantage of this tax. Who's going to get this money? You're going to have seven thousand dollar gifts to people who can already afford to send their kids to private school. That's what's taking place. So the one the one distinction I would make is that we know one of the the reality is now that there are enough black people and other people of color with means that some of them will be able to take advantage of this. So the the racial segregation be admitted. may not be, you know, I don't I'm not going to try to play around with the percentages because I don't know what what it's going to be, but it but it may not be quite as as uh as 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 horrible looking as it was you know, uh, some years back, uh, because this is really the, what this really boils down to is more, it's, it's more being driven by class, but we know the end result is going to be, you're still going to have a preponderance of white kids in these schools and black kids, poor Uh black kids left behind. So the end result is going to be more or less the same, but it but it may be a little different. You may see more black kids in there than, than you think. You say that, but let me give you another little, All right. uh, a little scenario. All right. All right. So a few years ago, uh, Edgewood Academy, which is a private school just on the outskirts of Montgomery, I believe it's in Elmore County. Um, and it had for years one of the best football programs in private school. It won at one point won 77 straight games. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, seven consecutive state titles in the uh, independent school association league. Uh, it's coach, uh, was, uh, is a guy named Bobby Carr, Mm -hmm. who I thought was a very good guy and, and still like him a lot. Uh, uh, Bobby was their coach there. Suddenly one day, Bobby was no longer their coach. Mm -hmm. And, we started this back and forth about you know what was going on there, okay. and come to find out, the folks at Edgewood Academy allegedly, according to a lawsuit that was filed by several parents and from the former coach himself, uh, some of the board at Edgewood decided that he had been bringing in too many black kids mm. to help this winning football program. Mm-hmm. Now, how many black kids? The best that I could tell. Over the course of the time that I, because at that time I was covering sports for a majority of that run. And the best that I could tell, we were talking about five or six mm-hmm. kids in the entire school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I understand what you're saying about folks with means, black folks with means. And there are certainly some of those, and there will be some, and there will probably be certainly more than there would have been in 1965, mm-hmm. uh, when a lot of, in the 1960s, when a lot of these schools were created. But never underestimate the fear that little that the parents of little white kids going to school with little black kids can strike, okay, amongst them. And, and what they will do to prevent it and how they will bar kids out and how they will continue to press them down. Uh, and, you know, as we've seen from places like um, – uh, is it is it Valiant Academy in Montgomery? Is that the name? Is it, I'm trying, I can't believe I forgot the name. Yeah, I'm not sure. Valiant Cross, I believe. Valiant, Valiant Cross, I believe, is the mm-hmm. name of it. All all black kids in this school, they are tremendous. Mm-hmm. 
It's a tremendously productive school. They go to college. They have great success rate. They're all coming from the same homes that the kids at other schools are, are having trouble with. All right. It can be done. It can be done yeah. with state dollars. It can be done with tax dollars. We could devote the hundred million dollars that right now this is going to cost when it's actually, we know it's actually going to cost into the billions uh, within just a few years. Um, and, we could do this for, for those kids mm -hmm. and lift them up. That's not our interest. Our interest is in dividing it out and sending this money to the rich people to send their little white kids to better schools. Well, I, That's all you're right. And, I, and, I, and again, I don't disagree with the general premise. I do know, though, that there are children already in private, uh, and they happen to be parochial schools or Christian schools, you know, in Huntsville now, let's say, for example, the Huntsville area, there are black children attending predominantly white schools now um, because their parents sure. have the means or because they're getting scholarships. And I know some of the schools have apparently uh, even tried to consciously uh, raise their percentage of black children. But I but I think your your premise is right. Overall, this is going to create you know, uh, or replicate the segregation overall, it's going to replicate the segregation of the overt, blatant, brazen segregation that, yeah. uh, that existed, you know, 40, 50, 60 years ago. And, and if we're honest, still exists today, you know, functionally yeah. speaking, you go in, you go into the public schools in Huntsville and in other cities, and you have clearly schools that are predominantly one thing or another, racially speaking. So, you know, this yeah. is not, you know, this is a, this is the same thing happening in different ways and, and they're coming at it in different ways, but it ends up being the same thing. Yeah, it, it is. And, and, you know, it's, um, I, and I will say what you mentioned a few minutes ago where, where we're talking about class, um, uh, that that is a, a big consideration in in this as mm -hmm. well. Um, you know, this is going it's going to hurt a lot of kids in in rural counties in rural uh, North Alabama, uh, Jackson County, for example. It's going to be decimated by this. There's no there's no real private schools in in Jackson County. Right. You know, right. where the hell are they going to go? So what you're going to do is you're just going to take their funding away because see this when when you take a hundred million dollars out, it takes a hundred million dollars out for everybody. Right. All right. All right. You're, you're not just taking them out for this school district or that school district or whatever. You're taking them out for everybody. Mm -hmm. All right. And so this, you're going to hurt those kids there or over in, in Franklin County or some of these other counties that don't have private schools because they don't want them because they've got good public schools around there that the, that the people love. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, they, they might have they might have a school or two that serves a, a particularly impoverished area that struggles because we all know that that's the factor that matters most in the education is the is the poverty levels of the students that are that are attending those schools. That's all. All there is to it. We've known it forever. We've always known it. And we've always known the way around it is to better fund those schools and to put better programs in there, put more experienced teachers in there to lift those kids up and to help them out more than we help the Mountain Brook kids out. Right. But we don't do it. Right. We don't do it. We pretend like, well, what, 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 what could we do? What, what this, you know what this is? This is a failing school. And then we set up a system to determine it's a failing school by punishing them for the very things that we know they do the most, like have discipline issues and have attendance issues, which are two of the biggest keys in determining whether or not a school is a failing school in this state. All right. And so we knew it. We knew it going in. We knew what we were doing. We knew we were screwing over the kids who could least afford to be screwed over. And we screwed them over with the AAA Act for years. And now we're going to screw them over even more with this bullshit. Yeah. All yeah. right. 
And that's all there is to it. And that's not even before we get into the fact that we're going to send tax dollars out to religious organizations yeah. for religious indoctrination of kids, yeah. you know, which I you know, I can't wait, can't wait for somebody to learn that there is a Muslim school or a Hindu school or that satanic school mm-hmm. that's starting up in some of these mm-hmm. states uh, that's going to come in and pull children in. And you're going to pay for it with your tax mm-hmm. dollars. Well, I, I suspect, uh, I mean, I would assume that this is legislation that's going to end up in court. I mean, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you assume that somebody's going to sue over this? I th- I, if I'm not mistaken, I think that that, that that's already been handled, um, and that they said that the uh, you know the the schools like this uh, can can receive that those those tax dollars if you're handing them out to others that you can uh, that the the Christian schools are just as uh, I don't know how that stands uh, as man. eligible. I just don't know. I don't, I don't understand legally how that stands. I just don't. I I don't either. I don't. I, you can't do it in any other form or fashion, and so I do not understand it. Uh, in, in this particular sense, either uh, I don't, you know, and, and on, on top of that, there's a whole list of other just common sense problems that you have mm-hmm. out there. There's there's no there's no oversight. There's going to be no public auditing. There's going to be uh, no requirement for certification. Uh, the only requirements is that they're somehow accredited by these four organizations out there for private school accreditation, which we don't even understand what the hell they do. Mm-hmm. Or how they accredit mm-hmm. them, and some of them have been blasted for years for being lax on accreditation and and being paid off to give out accreditations. Mm-hmm. And so that's all of this goes into this, and and then we're not going to judge them based on the same criteria that we judge public schools on, right? Right. And it's just it's it's all it is is a gift. It's a handout of money to private business and to and to rich people uh, for the most part. Yep. And and it's and it's a shifting of public education dollars into private hands and mainly it's going to go to benefit Republicans. And that's their whole goal behind Mm -hmm. this is they need another funding source and here's their funding Mm -hmm. source. No, I'm with you, man. And I think, and I don't, and I think it, you know, and I know we've already covered this, but I think the religious point is also really key here. I just think that's a, that's just a huge problem, man. You know, public funds. Yeah. For all the screaming of indoctrination. Yeah. 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 It's a problem. And like you yeah. said, if um, if it were a Hindu school, I guarantee you somebody somebody would be trying to get the legislation changed, or if they'd file a lawsuit, or they do something, you know. Right. Yeah. Oh, you can bet on it. Wait, wait till it happens. It'll yeah. happen. It'll happen. Yeah. All right, our right wing nut. Before we so we can close this thing yeah. out here, uh, it's the Jefferson County Sheriff's Department, uh, who are uh, apparently going to now be headed to trial over a lawsuit involving Giovanni Loyola, uh, who says that he was handcuffed so tightly uh, during an arrest that the circulation to his wrist and hands were cut off, leading to the amputation of his hand. I mean, do you know how, you know how long you've got to cut off the circulation to somebody's hand before? I mean... This is one of the most reprehensible things I've heard of. In fact, in part because not only should it have been absolutely preventable, like you're alluding to with what you just said, but, you know, my understanding is that, um, you know, he was asking for help and he was refused medical treatment. 
He was? Yeah. yeah. He was refused that's, what, well, that's what he claims. That's, a, that's one of his claims in the lawsuit. Uh, and, and if you're wondering, his arrest was for uh, disorderly conduct slash disturbing the peace, uh, in which there's a real question as to whether or not he was involved in any way and should have ever been charged. Right. Yeah. yeah. Said he was sitting in his mother's trailer. At their trailer park, watching TV when the when the detective showed or when the uh, police show the sheriff's deputy showed up. I'm sorry, I'll get it right eventually. Uh, when the sheriff's deputy showed up, and apparently his brothers had been arguing on the front porch prior to this. He was not one of them. Uh, nobody. They, there was a report of gunshots. He said nobody fired a gun, um, and so he didn't know what they were talking about with that. But they came in and arrested him and handcuffed him so tightly that he lost his hand. Yeah. And he also claims that uh, they punched him in the face, threw him on the ground. He was just really manhandled in a way that, you know, again, raises questions about their whole tactic in trying to, you know, put this man, place this man under arrest, who they shouldn't have apparently, based on what he's saying, shouldn't have been placed under arrest in the first place. That's right. Yeah. And when he told him the handcuffs were too tight, uh, apparently one of the deputies, the deputy that's named in the suit, uh, said he doesn't know how to be effing quiet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I'll, I bet uh, he certainly doesn't know how to be quiet now. Uh, so, uh, and, and oddly, the, the Jefferson County uh, Sheriff's Department has learned how to be quiet. They, they would not comment. So, uh, it's, uh, you know, good luck. Good luck. And that's our right wing nut for the week. All righty. Let's get ourselves out of here. We've we've given these people way too much this week, I think. This, this is good stuff, listen, man. Good stuff. Doug was good. Don, Doug, Doug did a great job. Yeah, Doug was good. And and Don doesn't have to change podcasts while he's doing chores. So. <laughs> and and Dexter can have Don. fun, too, while he listens to the podcast. <laughs> that's right. That's right. This is for Don and Dexter. You're welcome, fellas. All right. Till next week, y'all be safe. Peace. Peace.